Hi, friends, wherever you are and however you're tuning in with us, we are so thankful that you chose to gather with us virtually. Welcome. My name is Ashley, and I am the global and local outreach pastor here at Cedar Mill. And a lot has happened in our world and in our personal lives since I was here with you last. I think I last preached in August, but one thing has remained the same, and that is that God is faithful and consistent. He enables us to do all things and to endure all circumstances, no matter how tough they may be. He is the God of peace, justice, strength, hope, and joy. And for that, we can all be thankful, right? Amen. I have the pleasure of wrapping up our series in Habakkuk with chapter three. But before we dive in, let's review. In chapter one, Habakkuk begins a dialogue with God where he asks God some questions and then the Lord answers. And of course, Habakkuk doesn't like the answer he receives. And so Habakkuk begins wrestling with the justness and the timing and methodologies of the Lord. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? And you do not listen. He goes on to ask, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Many of us have asked the same questions of the Lord in 2020. I know I have. With all the things that have gone on, I have seriously God questions in this moment. We go on to chapter two and God gives a second response to Habakkuk's question. He tells Habakkuk to write down what he's told him and how he plans to bring about justice to, to the people so that they could plainly and easily know what's happening. So that history then becomes a testimony of who God is. Really what God tells Habakkuk here is, trust me, I am God and you are not. So here we are in chapter three, which is known as Habakkuk's prayer. And many commentators refer to chapter three as a prophetic prayer, which makes sense because Habakkuk is a prophet. And there are four components that make up this prophetic prayer in chapter three. The first one is the acknowledgement of God's power and providence. The second is the acknowledgement of what is, and that's, that means like what's happening currently in the surroundings that Habakkuk's in. The third is the acknowledgement of what's to come. And fourth, the acknowledgement of who we are to be in the midst of it all. These four things are woven together throughout his prayer in chapter three. And through the act of prayer, we experience Habakkuk receiving a renewed and transformed perspective. But in order to get there, he had to be willing to ask God the hard questions and listen to the answers God provided even when they weren't easy. 
And Habakkuk was willing to wrestle with the hard questions and answers and then to trust God because he knew that his survival depended on it. And not just his survival, but the survival and thriving of an entire people. The other day, I was texting Amy Teixeira, and we were talking about one of the shows that I've been watching. And I was telling her about one of my new favorites, and it's called I Shouldn't Be Alive. It turns out, I know, it sounds weird, but it turns out that in 2020, there's two types of shows that I like to watch. One, survival shows, and two, baking shows. Another one of my favorite shows is The Great British Bake Off, which is an amazing show. If you haven't seen it, you should totally watch it. Um, it's full, full of really nice people and really fabulous treats, and it just makes you happy. Anyway, so I go on to talk to Amy about I shouldn't be alive. And so as we're talking, she says to me, you really like survival shows, don't you? And to that, I replied, yes, but up until that point, I hadn't really thought about why I was gravitating towards stories of survival, but I took a minute and I thought about it, and I figured it out. I mean, knowing why I liked baking shows was way easier to figure out. I like baked goods, pies, cakes, cookies, brownies, souffles, you name it, check, I like it. I like shows with people who are nice to one another. Check. But why shows about survival? And here's why. From the beginning of time, humanity has survived in the face of what looked like some pretty insurmountable circumstances. We have been hardwired for survival by our Creator. And not just hardwired for survival, but we've been hardwired for thriving. In this season, I've actually lost count of how many times I've said, seriously, God, with accusation, frustration, anger, weariness, and sadness in the tone of my inquiry. I love the book of Habakkuk because when it comes down to it, I feel like we're learning from this book in not only what it takes to survive, but what it takes to thrive in the face of tough times. To turn our tone of seriously, God, from anguish to rejoicing. For me, chapter three is the prayer of someone who has realized that they have to be fully dependent on God for everything, not just their survival, but their ability to thrive in the midst of any circumstance. You may or may not know this, but during times of crisis, chaos, and traumatic experiences, science actually tells us that we enter something called survival mode. Knowing all that Habakkuk had been through and having received the news he'd received from God in chapter one about the Babylonians being raised up against the people, Habakkuk was in survival mode. And in survival mode, our emotions tend to guide our thoughts, which means the more likely we are to react and think impulsively than rationally. When we experience trauma like a pandemic or racism, the survival brain grows, 
reacting impulsively for self-preservation. And in survival situations, friends, this is necessary. And one of the episodes of I Shouldn't Be Alive that I recently watched, two friends, Jim and Dave, head to Alaska to go on this climbing trip. And as they're making their 2,000-foot ascent, they're tethered together, and some snow collapses on Jim, who is ahead, and knocks him down. And as they're tethered together, Dave realizes that Jim is seriously injured, and he's not moving. And so what Dave has to do is drag Jim down the mountain to their camp that's at the base. But what they realize is no one knows that they're there. They're all alone. And as avalanche after avalanche comes and sweeps them down the mountain, their hopes of survival are growing dimmer and dimmer. One man injured, the other man not but they are both together. On day five, Dave finds himself wrestling with what he describes as dark thoughts. He says, I'm uninjured and I can move. I don't have to be here. I can just leave him. At that moment, he had to ask himself some serious questions. He had to ask himself, what's important in my life? He had to ask himself, is my life more important than my brother's? Now, I'm not going to tell you how the story ends because that's not the point. You can watch that on Amazon Prime. The point is, is that the issue with survival mode is that if we remain in it for too long, we get stuck. And when we're stuck in survival mode, our our prefrontal cortex is hindered. This is the part of the brain that handles problem solving and critical thinking and organization and decision making and emotional regulation. Church, we have been living our lives for the better part of 2020 in survival mode, but God is calling us out of solely operating in survival mode. And the reason why is this, when we're stuck there, how can we love others well? How can we make wise, godly decisions? How can we make decisions that solely don't benefit us or our our own individual interests? When we're stuck in survival mode, how do we keep moving forward for the greater good of the church, our communities, the city, the world? Jeremiah 29.7 says this, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. You see, in survival mode, the questions we ask of God will be limited. And the answers he gives will continuously be refuted due to our limited understanding. However, like Habakkuk, God is asking us to shift our thinking beyond just what it takes to survive the aftermath of the elections, government transitions, online school, unemployment, injustice, COVID-19. You fill in the blank with whatever you want. He wants us to focus our attention on him and what it takes to thrive beyond 2020 and our current circumstances. 
In order to thrive, Habakkuk realized that his thinking must be transformed. And in chapter 3, his thinking was transformed. And it was transformed because he pressed in to God instead of pulling away when circumstances continued to get tough and when he didn't understand what was happening or what was going to happen. You see, the difference between merely surviving and thriving is the recognition that throughout it all, the anger, sadness, anxiety, frustration, and fear, God has not changed. His character has been proven. So even if we disagree with his methodologies and the leaders and the structures that he uses, we must continue to trust and wait on him to bring justice, restoration, and reconciliation in its fullness. So how did Habakkuk get there? How do we get there? Follow along with me as I read chapter 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Tinman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand. Where his power was hidden, plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwelling of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? When you rode your horses and your chariots to victory, you uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. At the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing sphere, in wrath you strode the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though, they, as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of the calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength." He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. 
So there are four things that are essential to Habakkuk's transformed mindset, and they're essential for us as well. So number one is prayer. It takes humility to enter into prayer. And what we see with Habakkuk way before we get into chapter three is this humility to ask questions. In this season, have you been having courageous conversations with God? Have you been wrestling with him over the tough and not so easily answered questions? After asking God for answers, are you actually listening for his response? Are you humble enough to receive it, even if it isn't what you had in mind? In my experience, God's people don't necessarily have trouble when it comes to asking, but we struggle when it comes to the waiting, listening, and responding, even when we don't like the answer that God has set before us. These are all parts of prayer, friends. And the answer that God has set before us, even though we may not like it, is the very thing that needs to take place for the greater good. The second thing that leads to a transformed mindset is acknowledgement of who God is. Habakkuk throughout chapter three tells us who God is. He reminds us of God's character by pointing us back to what he's done in the past and what he's going to do in the future. He opened chapter three with this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. From there, he goes on to further acknowledge God's power and providence, as well as his justness. Here's what I mean by that. Sin has consequences. Our sin has been forgiven, but the consequences of our sin upon our lives and our world still exist. And sometimes these consequences aren't easy. In fact, sometimes they look and feel contrary to our common sense expectations. Here's my point. Because of God's goodness and justness, the restorative work of justice applies to everyone. And this shouldn't scare us because God has never lost a battle. And as God's people, we have to acknowledge that we've been given victory, a victory that is eternal. In Habakkuk 3.16, it says, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. That is good news, friends. The third thing that leads to a transformed mindset is practicing hopeful praise. We see Habakkuk do something remarkable in chapter three. He gives praise to God, knowing that the situation might get worse before it gets better. And it's his acknowledge of God that enables him to do this. In 317, he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. This reminds me of what Paul says in Philippians 4. You guys know this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. 
Paul goes on in that chapter to talk about what it's like to be content in all circumstances. You see, we're not called to a life of comfort and ease. As Jesus followers, we are people with an everlasting hope and promise, no matter the surrounding circumstances. I actually get excited about the season that we're living in right now because we, the church, have something to offer this season that transcends our political points of view. We have hope, peace, and joy. And if we take hold of it, we can and will look different than that of the world in which we live. If we take hold of it, we will see revival in our day. And that's something to praise God over. Praise and rejoicing didn't start with the holiday of Thanksgiving. And it doesn't stop now that the holiday has passed and all the turkey and stuffing are gone. And I love turkey and stuffing. I will miss them. But hopeful praise has to be a continuous practice for the people of God. Praise and rejoicing for the seen and unseen, the now and the not yet. Last but certainly not least in having a transformed mind is number four, and that is recognizing our divine strength. The book of Habakkuk began with uncertainty and frustration, but by the end, the prophet's tone went from seriously God, full of sadness and anger, to seriously God, full of joyful and hope-filled praise. The tone shifted because Habakkuk's mindset had been transformed. Through his prayer, God had reminded him of the sure-footed confidence he had in him, that God would eventually eradicate all the ails of this world and defeat our enemies, bringing justice to all and delivering the oppressed. Church, we have the same sure-footed confidence that Habakkuk had. In Habakkuk 19, it says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The illustration of the deer that Habakkuk uses is intentional. Here's the thing with deer, and I didn't know this. They seldom slip or fall. Their feet are actually anatomical wonders. Their hooves absorb the shock of every stride and provide traction on all terrains. They have all-terrain, weatherproof Nikes built into their feet. It is amazing. And their feet allowed them to pivot and walk and run and leap and make sharp turns on any kind of surfaces. They are sure-footed, friends. And this is amazing. It's an amazing reminder to us that God's people don't have to worry or scramble for survival or self-preservation. We have already been given the divine strength we need to thrive individually and collectively in the midst of all that's going on in our world. And it's because of this that even when we don't get all of our questions answered, and even when it seems that God isn't working in our favor— that the book of Habakkuk teaches us that we can stand firm and praise him continuously. 
Pastor and biblical scholar Tony Evans says this, when you know God's character, who he is, and his works, what he has done, you'll know that you can trust him even in the dark. Today and in the days ahead, let us remind ourselves that those around us and those around us that are, sh- that are sure-footed confidence rest in him and him alone. As Proverbs 3.23 declares, and then you will work on your way and then you will walk on your way securely and your feet will not stumble. Let me close with a short blessing over you from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you, friends. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.